Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Swish Woodlad podcast. And with Father's Day creeping up on us, now is the perfect time to get in early and surprise your dad with that perfect gift. Now you could get him some chocolates, some socks or some undies, but if your dad likes sport, then the perfect option to get him is a swish from his favourite sports star. It is the best Father's Day gift out. To order, head over to heyswish.com and you can even get 10% off your purchase by using the code DAD10. And remember that up to 70% of the proceeds do go to Kiwi Kids Charities. So you can also tell your dad that he donated to what is a really good cause. I'll leave a link in the description below. So just go click on that and go get your dad the gift he really deserves this Father's Day. Also, if your old man has muscle or joint aches, which are anything like mine, another great gift idea for this Father's Day is some pure sport products. The CBD oil and the muscle balm have been massive to helping me get through a very difficult hip surgery. And from hearing other customers' feedback as well, they're all in the same boat. And so just because you're a lad and you're listening to some Water Lad, um, you can get 20% off any of the products by using the code WATERLAD20. I'll leave a link in the description below so you can just click on that and go get amongst it. And last but not least, the absolute lad Tim Bateman has an opportunity for you to own your very own O Studio. So I went down and checked out O Studio for the very first time the other week down in Christchurch and it is such a cool setup. Float tanks, recovery rooms, saunas, ice baths, yoga, meditation rooms. It's got it all and it's such a cool space for just clearing your head and recovering your body and your mind. And with the well-being industry being the second fastest growing industry in the world, this is the perfect time to get involved and learning from the GOAT, Tim Bateman, mate, that would be worth the investment alone. If you're interested, follow the link in the description to inquire. But anyway, let's get to the show. Oh, what a lad. Well, today I have a lad who came on early in season one with an episode that became a favourite to the many What A Lad listener, an episode where he told his inspiring story, speaking about his incredible rugby career and his life post-footy. And it's that life post-footy journey that I'm really keen to talk about in a little bit more depth after turning an idea into what has become UK's leadest wellness brand in pure sport. He is a hell of a lad and a massive supporter of the podcast. So I'm stoked to have him back on What A Lad. It is the great man himself, Grayson Hart. Welcome, brother. Bloody good to be back, bro. I don't warrant such a great intro, but I think it's just, you know, you podcast master these days, so you're, you're pretty good at that. But good to be back, bro. Mate, stoked to have you back on. And I listened to your um, first episode the other day um, just to catch up on it. And man, that was a good podcast. Uh, sort of forget some of these podcasts when you get through so many, how good some of them were. And mate, that one was, was literally one of the greats. And I'm um, looking forward to diving in a little bit deeper in some of those areas. Yeah, man. And I absolutely loved the chat with you. And um, I just think it's amazing what you're doing in terms of giving rugby players a, a platform to kind of give an insight into who they really are and I think rugby is a game that has so much sort of like tradition and 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 kind of like players are sort of always pushed to kind of stay within this their lane you know as what an act and be the way people perceive rugby players should be whereas mm. nowadays you know it's about people being able to express themselves and be kind of true to who they are and 
that doesn't diminish or take away from who they are as a rugby player. So, you know, you're giving people a platform to do that. So I'm a huge fan of the What A Lad podcast and what you're doing, bro. So bloody good to be here. Mate, oh, I appreciate that. And you're right, it is a... It is a stigma that's around that needs to change. Like guys, do need we do need to see more of these personalities of players. We are, I think we are seeing it slightly, but um, there's so many, as you know, there's so many good lads in those changing rooms, personalities, different characters. There should be no shame in being yourself. Like I feel like there has been before. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. And I think I feel you know New Zealand rugby to me is actually leading the way with that you know like I can tell by the way that the super rugby teams sort of like media um, and social media people are being a bit more light-hearted and playful with their content allowing players to kind of joke and interview each other and show that other side of the personality that's not just those bloody boring copy and paste post-match interviews that we all know so well and, and actually, I feel in this day and age, people's uh, attention is dragged in so many directions. And for a sport, a professional sport to flourish, it has to be more than that 80 minutes. Uh, it has to be an insight into the behind the scenes, who the players are, what the personalities are. Yeah. And that's why the sports like UFC and all these are flourishing, because people are and connected and they they align so much with the individuals because they're able to express themselves. Mm-hmm. So I do think rugby has been a bit behind in that regard, but I think New Zealand rugby, to me anyway, in my humble opinion, looks like they're breaking that mould. And then podcast, like what you're doing is actually playing a, a big part in that. I, I, I find English rugby very, just to speak plainly because I don't have a great vocabulary, <laughs> So so ungrate that I couldn't even remember the word vocabulary, but <laughs> I think it's boring, man. And like people are just within their box. You know, you have the odd person. Like these guys all have personalities, but then you get guys like Finn Russell or Alice Genge who do express themselves, mm. and they just get like shat on by the public and the media. Whereas actually, it's like guys, for the good of this game, you should be encouraging these people, giving them a platform. So yeah, that's, uh, as you can tell, that's a bit of a spiel from me. Mate, what a start. <laughs> I would love that. What a start to the podcast. Huge. But I do want to talk about pure sport from the outside in. Pure sport looks like it is absolutely humming at the moment. I know you've been through a, a big rebrand as well. Talk me through the whole process of the rebrand and how it's going. Yeah, bro. So Pure Sports started three and a half years ago now. Uh, I retired two years ago. So the first two years I was playing rugby, uh, I started Pure Sport because I was on painkillers. I've got a osteoarthritic knee. All my cartilage is gone, bone spurs. I used to get cortisone injections every like three, four months. I used to have to get my knee drained uh, of fluid, like 100 mils of fluid once a month, um, just popping codeines and tramadols left right and center to try and train and play uh at one point you know they sent me for a scan because my knee kept swelling up and the specialist said look like you're going to need a knee replacement by the time you're 40 like you should retire and 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 as many of the players listening to this can relate to like i was 25 at that time and i was like no man like this is all i've got like this is my life you know i'll be back working at the ports of auckland and 
that'll probably be worse for my knee. So, um, and so that for me wasn't an option. So I stuck at it. But with the club knowing that I was struggling and that the specialist had sort of said, "Look, like you should retire," I became even more protective of, and I and I wasn't really being open with the struggle of how much pain and stuff, and I wasn't getting the right treatment because I wanted to stay on the field and keep getting signed and and all of that sort of stuff. And that, that's really what led me to look for natural alternatives away from the painkillers. I actually saw a teammate who got addicted to sleeping pills and it was scary, man. Like he was a good friend and to the point where he, he wouldn't show up to training and stuff. And we were going to the club and being like, man, like this guy needs help. Like he's really, really struggling. And the club, fuck, they got, they just got rid of him, bro. Like rather than helping him, they just, they cut his contract. And then I started to see some addictive traits with like the tramadols and stuff I was taking. And that's what woke me up to be like, man, I need to find natural alternatives. That's when I researched all sorts, trialed all sorts of things, found out about CBD, which stands for cannabidiol, which is an extract of the cannabis plant, which doesn't, uh, it's non-psychoactive and it has like healing and therapeutic and pain relief and anti-inflammatory benefits. Um, and it had just been removed off the water list. So I waited till the off-season, though, because it was obviously not batch-tested, trialled it. First time in about a year and a half, I was able to train and function without the painkillers. And for me, man, like, I felt like a new person. My energy levels, my mood, uh, sleep quality, gut health, everything felt brand new. So I didn't, I, I just was like, I can't go back to the painkillers. Went back to training on day one of preseason. Told the doctor, and he, and then I was so surprised. He was just like, "Don't take it. If you take it, you're in breach of your contract." And I was like, "Can we find a way? Can we talk to Wada? Can we talk to you know?" And it's just like, "Nah." So that really set me on my journey to be like, "I'm gonna find a way." Still wasn't a business idea at that point, but along the way, I was like, "Actually, I can create the world's first batch-tested and certified for drug-tested athlete." range of CBD products and then along that journey I'd learned about all sorts of different um, things like mushrooms for like neural um, cognitive function and fighting against the degeneration of head knocks and all these things and so I was like this can be the start of a natural supplementation brand to kind of introduce people to some of these game-changing products and rather than the quick fixes of pharmaceuticals like educate on incorporating like a a lifestyle around your health which I'd been learning about and yeah so that that's how Pure Sport came to life and in terms of the rebrand when I started it was out of my savings you know I had to convince my wife that putting my money into this was a good idea we'd been saving to try to buy a house and she you know I'd never start, done a business before so she was a bit skeptical but she backed me went for it but that savings wasn't a lot you know it wasn't uh mm picking up those Japanese contracts like, like you were, bro. And, uh, and so everything went into the product development and the batch testing. And and what that meant was there was nothing left for, like, marketing, branding, design. So everything was made up. Like, I had a graphic designer that I got off one of those uh, sites called Fiverr. Uh, oh, it's yeah. like, you know, you freelance people and it's, like, really affordable. And I was just using, like products that my wife had in the cupboard she loves her bloody cosmetics so as like inspiration for like the logos and and labels and all that so it was all just really made up uh 
everything just went into the quality of the products and getting that certification. So my, my kind of goal with the rebrand was, okay, this business is growing now. I want the branding and the design and the website and the packaging to be at the premium level of these products that we're creating and innovating and that are like helping people's lives. I want people to look at it and be like, this is a sick packaging, you know, like this, I'm buying something premium and this represents that. So yeah, that was, that was what it was. And actually I worked with a couple of Kiwi fellas, a friend from back home, his name's Josh Hears and his guy that he works alongside with branding stuff, a guy named Elliot Stansfield, who's known as one of New Zealand's sort of top graphic designers. And I kind of ran them through my vision and what I wanted to achieve with the rebrand. And then they um, put together this, these different like presentations. I was like buzzing about it. I still remember the very first time they actually came with their first concept. I was so excited, man, jumped on this call with them. They ran me through like the screen share. And I remember just being like real like deflated. I was like, oh, fuck. Because they were real like buzzing about it and proud. And and it was cool what they did, but it just wasn't where I had envisioned it going. Mm -hmm. So that was quite tough because I was like, oh, fuck, boys. Like, it's not, it's not going <laughs> to let the boys down. But we had about four or five different iterations back and forth from there. And we got to where it is now, which, um, yeah, man, I'm so I love it. I'm so proud of, proud of it. So, yeah. Mate, so good. Such an inspiring story what you've done to uh, – I can't believe it's only been, what, like four years that you've been doing this and what you've created has been pretty impressive. But one thing you touched on during that um, start was the addiction to anti-inflammatories and obviously your mate addicted to sleeping pills. What did your anti-inflammatory intake look like? You said you were close to being addicted. What did that look like? Because I know it's such a common problem in rugby at the moment. Mm -hmm. In sport, I'd imagine, people just chomping back the anti-inflammatories just to get through the season and uh, get back out on that park. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, it wasn't until down the line that I realised, like, fuck, this is actually an addiction. Like, because it was so normalised, and for me, it was I, there was no question to like, I needed to train well and play well. Like I wasn't a good enough player that my performances on the field for eighty minutes got me, you know, the start the following week. Unfortunately, um, and so I had to be competing and training for my spot every week, man. Like with the state that my knee was in. And it's frustrating because when you come up through the ranks and you're 19, 20, 21, like that level of training and all of that, like that's just who you are. Like you just do that. We can all relate to that, uh, that energy and excitement and endurance and all that. Like, so then when I was into sort of like 22, 23, 24, when I started to struggle with the knee, it was so frustrating, man, because, you know, like I couldn't do all the like heavy squats and fucking, you know, box jumps and, you know, hitting gaps in training or even like, you know, when I when I was signed at Edinburgh, which was at the peak of it, of the issues, they loved a box kick over there, man. And like the coaches used to get us nines doing so many box kicks at the end of training. Sometimes I think they picked the team on who, who was the, the, the best bloody box kicks at the end of training. Uh, and like that was 
fucking agonizing for my knee because every time you're whacking one of these kicks like you know you're overextending your knee and so I was literally morning it would be you'd either have two or three training sessions like gym units uh, session and then your main team session I'd be taking two painkillers before every session just to mask the pain to be able to actually train and then man there was times where after training, you know, like, because I had my little dog, it was me and my little mate, my little French bulldog, Artie, that named after the bro, Artie Sevier. Um, and I'd want to fucking walk him after training, bro. And so I'd, sometimes I'd pop another two to just be able to walk around pain-free to walk the dog. Yeah. Uh, and, and what happened was, that, you know, they went from the, the, the Voltarans to the Codeines, then those stopped mm. having the same effect uh, to the point where there was like four or five months uh, at the back end before I woke up to it where I was, it was tramadols that I was taking. And the reason that mm. I woke up to it was because like codeines and that have an effect on your mind. They can make you drowsy and stuff. I was just chopping coffees to, you know, stay alert and all that. But then tramadol... Tramadol is the type of drug that you actually, when you take it consistently for a period of time, when it's not in your system, you don't feel the same. Like, you crave it to feel that what you feel like when it's in your system. And I remember this one particular mm-hmm. instance, and it must have been probably like my sixth or seventh Tramadol of the day. I was at home watching TV on the couch after training, someone knocked on the door and it was one of these people like trying to sign you up for a charity or whatever and um you know and you know, i'd do my best to contribute and in, in, in here and there but this time i was like so like off my head that um i can't even remember the charity and i was like oh yeah sweet and they like convinced oh, they didn't even need to convince me uh I signed up for like a 200 pounds a month, uh, <laughs> con- like recurring thing. And then the next day I clicked or I, I, cl- I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's not, I'm not thinking clearly, man. Like I'm not, and, you know, and, and that was a, the, a point where, you know, like I said, I would be taking them after training and then they'd wear off. So I'd be like, or, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to be out. I'm not training or anything. It's just the evening, but I feel shit because it's worn off. Mm. I'll take another two. And, yeah, man, that was pretty scary, bro. And seeing then my mate with sleeping pills and, like, man, he couldn't get out of bed, bro. Mm. Like, he would stay in his dark bedroom the whole day. Uh, And we would go around, me and, like, another mate who was friends at the club and, go and be like, bro, come on, man, like, let's go out. Or we'd try to get him on the way to train to be like, come on, bro, come on. And he'd be at the point where he'd be like, bro, I don't care. Nah, like, I don't, you know. And that was actually, like, pretty heartbreaking experience, you know, mm. uh, to see that. And then when the club wasn't helping him as a human being, they just saw him as, oh, well, he doesn't care. That was the icing on the cake for me to be like, man, like you got to wake up. And as well as you know, I spoke to you last time on on the podcast, but I'd seen addiction happen in my upbringing. You know, like yeah. my dad 
struggle with addiction. I had a cousin uh, who I was really close with who committed suicide. Uh, he'd been a drug addict his whole life. Uh, and in my mind, that path was just never, like, after what I saw and through my upbringing. But then to have it normalised and slip into the slopes that I was going into, I'm so glad I, like, woke up from it, man, because, I don't know, you hear about people that start on these opioid painkillers and then they're not enough and then yeah. they fucking go off into all sorts, man, and it's pretty scary. So was there any other health side effects that you noticed taking this amount of tramadols and stuff? Because obviously I've had teammates who, like you, um, smash back the anti-inflammatories. Some of my teammates have like started pissing like black and all sorts of weird stuff's going on to their body. Um, did you have anything like that which sort of made you realise, other than donating all your money to a charity? <laughs> yeah, it was my full contract. Um, so, I mean, when I look back, what what had happened was the gradual build-up, like, it became normal. Like, the, the slow build-up to, like, just this absolutely suboptimal state feeling, it became so my new normal because it wasn't like, hey, I feel vibrant and good and clear-minded today. And then, oh, here's tomorrow and I've, and I've bogged down and my mind's not clear and I feel hazy and because of all these painkillers it was like because I had gradually built up you know Voltaren a couple of days to four Voltaren to then codeine to then five codeine to tramadol but that's why when I had that off season when I ordered all these natural products the CBD products like capsules oils balms what I my I I built out this like plan in my mind that I'm gonna like taper off these painkillers and like build up these CBD products mm. and so that took about like two to three weeks that kind of plan and it wasn't until I was off them probably for a good completely off the painkillers for a good two weeks that I actually started to realize what it felt like to have normal energy levels like a clearer mind sleep quality like it'll become so normal to be suboptimal like but what i realized when i felt good again was that my sleep quality was shit my energy levels my mood mm. uh just clarity of mind like mood was a huge one man like all these fucking toxic opioid pharmaceuticals they like cloud your mind you know and and i think you know i've learned that as a human it's we ebb and flow between like feeling good and clear and like you know concerned or worried or whatever and that's pretty normal but it's not normal when you just got all these bloody extra outside uh pharmaceuticals in your system and then gut health was a big one like indigestion uh, inflammation of the gut and then the knock-on effect of that of like diet choices but the biggest ones are like the mood energy levels sleep quality and gut and then when i got off them i was like it was fucking amazing man i was like holy shit like this is how i should be feeling it was yeah so that's why then for me i was like well, i ain't going back so then when the club was like nah 
you bet you can't take those you got to take these i was like no fuck that i'd rather not be a rugby player than go back to that you know yeah whereas i think i was fortunate that i had that perspective enough at the time that my identity my life was not dependent on rugby i didn't know i didn't know what else i would do but i think i'd grown up enough and been through enough with rugby in my own life to be like I'm more than just a rugby player, so if I have to walk away or they don't sign me or whatever, then I'll be okay. Mm. Um, and then that allowed me to stay strong and be like, nah, man, like, make your own decision. Inform yourself. Like, the club, they're going to do what they have to do, which is within their protocol, and they're not bad people. That's just what they're mm. doing. But you you are your own human being. You can make your own decision. Like, and, 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 but inform yourself so you're aware and educated of the risks and stuff and then how did you go from obviously having this idea um to creating the business you obviously were doing it while you're playing how hard was that to juggle i often talk to guys about life after rugby and how hard it is to sort of get into anything before you've actually finished your career but how did you do it yeah i think um one thing i've learned about life after rugby and like having this business and just being like bloody full ripping into it is I think we do take for granted how much free time we get as professional rugby players and you know we're bloody good at going for coffees with the boys becoming fucking masters on playstation um (laughs) and so what my time became um kind of like immersed in outside rugby was like learning about the CBD industry and and really it was happening because I didn't have a business idea at this point it was I just wanted to take it so I was trying to inform myself what the risks were so I was like calling up world anti-doping because you know as pro players know like we're they're very accessible when you're like a contracted player you can call them up ask them about different supplements testing protocol all sorts mm. so I'd be like calling them up asking them about the testing methodologies, what the risk elements were for taking these type of products. Uh, and then I would be emailing and calling like brands, CBD brands, uh, manufacturers. At this point, CBD wasn't like, hadn't really gained any traction in the UK. It was still, it was in America where it started to kind of, you know, be a, a really growing industry. Um, so I was contacting people over there I do think like being a current professional player maybe allowed more opportunity, you know, like they were probably a bit more inclined to speak to me potentially, I feel, but I'm not certain on that. Um, And so, yeah, I found that these people were pretty accessible. I was calling up like the different brands, asking for advice, asking would they send me their lab report so I could look at them. I ended up getting in touch with different manufacturers in America, asking about their extraction methods. I was searching and learning about all sorts of how the products were extracted and stuff. And then along the way, throughout all those phone calls, I was like, it became quite clear to me that what I'd learned was, well, one, it was obviously there was no fully batch tested and certified under like an accredited uh, batch testing agency uh, range of CBD products for athletes. But two, there was also a lack of trust and regulations and there was quite a stigma, obviously, because these products are extracted from the cannabis plant. And so what I realised was like, fuck, 
I've searched everywhere for this. I'm, I've learned all this stuff. I should start the world's first fully batch-tested and certified range of CBD products, not just for athletes, but because there's a lack of trust in this industry. I know these products can benefit people from all walks of life because everyone benefits from a better sleep. Everyone knows what it's like to have joint pain or muscle pain that you know uh, they want relief from through anti-inflammatory pain relief. Uh, everyone you know knows what it's like to have like stress or a busy mind and can you know ha- have help feeling more focused and clear. So that's when I guess my business mind came to life that I didn't really know that I had, and I was like, if I can create this and use sport and this batch testing. These will actually be the most certified, transparent, scientifically tested range of CBD products in the world. And that's not just for athletes, that, that tr- provides trust for everybody. And then, then there was two elements in my mind. I was like, okay, well, one, athletes are not good customers, pro athletes, because we, we, we get given supplements for free. We get our boots and all sorts for free. And there's also a very small population that are pro athletes. So I can't have a business plan that's targeted as mm. athletes as my customer. But by providing the solution to athletes, I can utilize the sporting angle to provide trust to the wider audience who are still needing education, who are looking for trust in this new industry and with these new products. So, yeah, man, I... I ended up calling one of these manufacturers or two of them actually and I said this is what I want to do then I called up BSCG which is Banned Substance Control Group who are the certifying agency and they had said because there's two main ones Inform Sport and BSCG the level of testing it's all exactly the same the the outcome of a certified product is the same under both um, but they're both WADA compliant Olympic compliant da 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 so I spoke to them about could they do CBD? Uh, and I spoke to Inform Sport as well. Inform Sport couldn't, didn't have the equipment and uh, were not doing CBD. BSCG said they could. So spoke to this, this manufacturer and I just was like, because in order for the brand to come to life, it had to get the certification. I could buy the raw material, have them manufactured. If they didn't pass, I was yeah. fucked because it wasn't the USP that I was trying to create. So pretty much I what I did to vet who I was going to have these products uh, created by, because there's two elements to the manufacturing. You get the raw extracted material, which is extracted from the cannabis plant. So there's hemp farms that grow it, and then they will have extraction methods that extract it in a certain way. And then you buy the raw material, then you have a contract with the final product manufacturer under certain specifications to create the final product. So there's two elements to the manufacturing. So I went to like multiple different manufacturers. I said, okay, the payment terms of this order are on it being certified. I say, I'll pay a deposit up front and then I'll pay in full when it gets a certification. And the majority of these manufacturers are like, nah, can't do that. And what that said to me is they don't back the methods that they're using to be like specific you know, because I needed it to be exactly what they said. Yeah. And then what allowed me confidence is there was the one manufacturer that was like, yep, sweet, I'll do that. So I knew they backed their extraction and the clarity that they had through that. 
uh, and then same again with the raw, the final product manufacturing. They were like, yep, cool. And so that was how it came to life. And I actually utilized like a consultant um, to help me kind of throughout the whole process because like, I'm, I'm not a scientist, like, you know, I'm just do, doing it on from my YouTube researchers <laughs> and, like, and talking to people on the phone. So I wanted to make sure these were the best because another part of my obviously like idea was well if you're targeting athletes to promote these products and use them to then hit the wider audience these products have to work because yeah. athletes are not going to take shit that doesn't work it's not we're not like it's not gimmicky when it comes to this stuff so i had to i wanted to ensure that they were the best possible out there back then i didn't understand business at all like margins and, and so like the product margins were like not good they weren't like commercially that viable but it didn't matter like i had this usp and it wasn't until we sort of grew that i was able to like scale up the supply chain to command like better pricing and stuff like that that you know commercially it became more viable but what i've also learned is in the early days of a business it's not about being profitable it's about growing and building your brand and your reputation um so yeah, that was that was it really. And then when once the products got made, I just started an Instagram page. Had a really simple, humble website that I got a third-party developer to create for me. And because by this point people had become aware in sport about CBD, because you had like NFL guys talking about it, UFC fighters, different publicity about it, people were interested. And when I launched it as the world's first certified, it was like I had an inbox full of like fucking dudes that I like thought, you know, that I, I knew I knew a lot of them. And then a lot of them I'd watched on TV and, you know, really international rugby players from all around the world. And for the first two years, I didn't put my name to the brand because the club I was with, I wasn't allowed to take it or promote these products. It was on breach of my contract. And then also in my mind, I was also like, oh, I don't want people to think these products are not as good as they are because I'm just a rugby player. Because I've put everything, I've used these scientists, got the certification. I don't want people to be like, oh, that's just some bloody rugby player clown making these products. Like, So one, because of the club and my contract, not being able to talk about it. And two, because I didn't want it to kind of people to think it wasn't as good as it was. So I was like replying to dudes that I knew, like guys that I'd played with and who, you know, they're like, hey, bro, which one do you? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, mate. You know, like put on this, like, like hi there. Yeah, so this is a great one. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was good fun. Mate, I love how you've just self-taught yourself everything from just YouTube. Like you're, you've said yourself you're not a natural businessman. Uh, you haven't had the education of – you know, your marketing degrees and all this sort of stuff, you've just literally self-taught, found a product that you've really backed and just jumped right in and learnt on the way. I love that. I love hearing stories like that. But one thing about, like, you spoke a little bit about the marketing. How have you? What have you learnt on that marketing side of things? You've obviously um, used professional rugby athletes to be sort of ambassadors for you or um, people to promote the product you also have other athletes as well how do they sort of compare what have you learned from the marketing side of things yeah i think like one thing i've i've learned 
is if you believe in and are so passionate and like authentic about what your product is it's so easy to talk to people and like share that excitement with them and people people get on board with that i think there's so many what i've learned about businesses people a lot of business people identify an opportunity in an industry as an opportunity to make some good money and grow a good good business but it's not maybe necessarily something they're truly like aligned with so <clears throat> i think one of the our biggest strengths was like I, this stuff genuinely, you know, sounds cliche, but it, it genuinely changed my life, you know. Uh, and so to have that excitement. And then also I think I had this, like, fire in my belly about being told, nah, don't take that. Especially after seeing my teammate and what the path I was going on. I had almost, like, this fire in me to be like, well, you know, who are these people to tell me no? Like, So I kind of almost, like, there was this bit within me that was like, you know, as a kid, I was a bad student. I always got in trouble. I couldn't pay attention. And so I'll, I've always had this thing of like, well, I want to prove people wrong. Like, I want to do something good and I want to show them that, nah, just because you say no, like, that's not the only way. So getting people on board and just word of mouth was our biggest marketing from the get-go. Um, and naturally, rugby players were within my network and... and, and uh, they were like people that got jumped on board with this early and then that spread out into wider athletes. And then also, like, what we learnt was, uh, I'm not sure what it's like in New Zealand at the moment, but uh, in Europe, UK, there's, like, a huge number of, like, online fitness influencer-type people who some of them are bloody a bit of a joke and they're just in it for like building their following and making quick bucks from endorsements but there are a lot who are actually very very genuine about the lifestyle and helping people and living more optimally and I found that like these people were amazing advocates for these products because the people that were following them followed them because they wanted to learn about living optimally and then so when going into that space what I learned about rugby players is one Rugby players are rugby players. That's our bread and butter. Like, we're not influencers, you know. And then learning about the skills and knowledge that influencer-type people had in comparison to rugby players was, like, vast, you know. Like, I was sort of... Um, it wasn't until, like, six months in when I was like, fuck. Jerome Kaino and Liam Messam and Danny Cipriani and, like, all these dudes are buying my products. And then, like, just because they're good dudes or they like the products, they're tagging them and sharing them. One day, you know, I'm not, like, this is how humble the learnings have been for Pure Sport. Like, there's no business mastermind here. One day I got this shipment of products and they hadn't packed them properly and all the labels got damaged. So they had like scratch marks and, you know, we're, our products are not cheap because they cost a lot of money to make in the lab testing and people are paying good money. So in my mind, I'm like, the whole service has to be the best it can possibly be. So when I had these scratched and chipped labels, I, I went back to the people at the warehouse and I was like, look, man, like you need to relabel these. And then they were kicking up a big fuss and all that. So I was like, I, I then had this idea, I was like, okay, you discount these by this amount and you discount that amount off my next order 
and then we'll call it even. They're like, okay. So then in my mind, I was like, okay, they've discounted sales, something like 30%. So I was like, okay, so I've got 30% of this order that's free to me now. I'm going to gift 30% of this stock to athletes. So then I was going to, I was like, you know, hey, bro, Jerome, thank, it means a lot for me that you guys tag these. Here, man, I'm going to send you guys these products. And then same with Danny Cipriani and then some of these other guys, Finn Russell and these guys, they're like, oh, yeah, bro, thanks, man. And then, you know, they'll just do a few more stories and tags than what they'd normally do. And then I was like, oh, shit, like, you'd start to see growth and more sales coming in and questions and people emailing me, oh, hey, I saw this print or like that, you know, what one would you recommend? So I was like, oh, fuck, like, you know, that's marketing. Okay, cool. And then, so I was like, the more people see these and get in front of them, the more people sell, the more it sells. So that was my accidental, like, venture into marketing. And, and, and I guess what I've learned about rugby players is people follow rugby players because they are fans, they love the team and they love the player because it's, that's entertainment to them. I think in my perception what I've learned is they don't necessarily follow rugby players because they want to live a lifestyle like them. Yeah. Because the lifestyle to them is not as it's not achievable, like a normal like a fifty year old dude who loves sinking pints and watching the All Blacks down at the pub, uh, and talking to you know mm-hmm. telling people back in my day you know when I was bloody this that <laughs> and the other, um, they they're not aspiring to train and live like Jerome Kaino is you know, but they relate to it because they're like oh yeah I got a fuck knee as well okay he's taking that instead of painkillers I'm gonna try it. But the the core of the following is not following these guys because they're influenced by their lifestyles. But then what I found with these fitness people is the core of their following follow them because they want to learn from them how to live more optimally, how to train better, how to sleep better, how to eat better. So I started to see way more traction with these influence and and also these influencer type people. I hate calling them influencers because the ones we work with, I wouldn't class them as influencers. They're actually genuine about what they do. We call them ambassadors, but they're professionals at creating content, educating people on things, displaying their lifestyle. What I found with rugby players is the majority, it would just be a photo of the product, be like, you know, love this product, helps me sleep better, which is is great because the impact comes from the platform that they have, the trust, the level of what, you know, the fact that these guys are drug tested once a month and then they have to put good trusted things in their body. And also people kind of know that they're no nonsense. They're not going around just promoting shit for the sake of it, you know. Yeah. Um, so there was pros and cons. But I guess from my biggest learning is I feel that professional rugby players can offer so much more in terms of their own strengths as to their endorsements. I think what I've seen through my journey four years now of pure sport is brands... I think, like, like rugby players are doing so much amazing things for brands like Adidas, Nike, Asics, all of that, and very, very few rugby players are actually making any lucrative mm. money from these types of endorsements, yet they're fucking wearing it, they're only allowed to wear that brand that they're supplied with. Don't get me wrong, you get the odd guy here and there that might get a little retainer or something like that, and then you get the top 1%, you know, like the Sunny Bills and Dan Cars, you get paid a significant sum of money for their endorsement. 
But what I've learned is I feel rugby players can be so much more savvy and create a platform and create good content, educate people on who they are, their lifestyle, draw more people in. And through that, they can actually, one, earn some good money aside from their contract. But by doing these things, set themselves up really nicely after rugby, networks. Mm. So that, that's probably my biggest learning there. I love that because that, that so, that's so true. But you also mentioned about um, Scotland, even though you'd created your own product, um, you weren't allowed to take it or advertise it at all, even though it was your own thing. So there's so many rules within rugby mm. that do stop players from yeah. um, being able to create their own things or being able to um, advertise things. You even spoke about Adidas and the restrictions mm. players have with Adidas and wearing other brands and things. There, There's so yeah. many rules that stop players um, being able to um, make an extra dollar, like you say, but... Yeah, um, it is a very interesting space, and I agree. It would be good to see players do a lot more of. What is it in particular? Is anyone doing it um, well? Anyone that you think, man, he's doing awesome in this space? I think like Quade Cooper's pretty great at like uh, building his own profile through his social media. Yeah, I think Kalen Ponger is—he's an example of a guy who unbelievable talent making big bucks through his contracts but you can tell he has interests and things that he wants to do outside of the game that uh you know i i feel like if you do have these interests and you can express yourself it's going to actually help you to be a better player because when you're injured or maybe your form's not so great it's not like all your eggs are in one basket you know and i used to believe that and i think the world of sport kind of points you towards oh you need to be all out, all focus, and it's true. Like you got to do, you got to look after yourself. You got to train right. You got to do your analysis. You got to eat right. You got to be focused and present in that moment. Your body has to be fresh uh, and looked after to perform. But guys spend so much time playing PlayStation or working, chilling, eat, drinking coffee, which is all—all all that's fine. But it shows there is so much time to like utilize to learn and evolve. And I think, um, I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, I said Quaid, but I can't think right now of any one, particularly in rugby, but... Your dog, Adi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there you go. He's an amazing example, man. Like, and it shows now because there's companies like Rock Nation who are signing guys like Adi and Sia Khaleesi, Marcus Smith, um... Mm. And it's allowing them to utilize the platform and who they are as an individual and an athlete to bring in meaningful endorsements, but build their profile for life after rugby too. And I just think that it's not promoted enough within sport. Because in this day and age, man, like building the profile that you've got through your professional sport and the opportunities you can create around that, and then develop like what you've done with the podcast and you know what I've been able to do and it's only the beginning for us both but without with pure sport it shows man like there are so many opportunities for us alongside our playing career that doesn't actually take away from our playing career it actually built gives to it uh, mm. so I think we need to break that mold of uh, I, I started a podcast when I was at Glasgow Warriors and the coach came up to me Gregor Townsend and he was like oi make sure you focus on rugby and, and like 
bro, that just that one comment. And bro, I was so committed, man, to my training and wanting yeah. to play and perform. And that one comment was like, well, fuck, I better stop the podcast because that guy who's in charge of my destiny thinks I don't care. So true. Like that should, that's not right, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah, mate. I, I, was, I felt the same. Like even I didn't set up my podcast till I was finished because I knew if I wasn't playing well, it would always come back, oh, you're spending too much time on your podcast. And you know what? Cha- there's a lot of changing room banter in a rugby team. Like yeah, if you're really putting yourself yeah. out there when you're um, doing these things and some guys won't like it and you'll, you'll cop it for it, even though it is um, just all a little bit of fun, it does eventually get to you, I think. So um, there's still reasons why people yeah. don't do these yeah. things, I think. Yeah, man. And, and it comes back to what we were chatting at the start about, like the, the, we need to break that mould. And those like outdated yeah. traditional way of what, it, how you should act as a rugby player, because mm. that that perspective is no longer in service of the game or the individuals, you know. And although I agree, with you like most of the majority of it is fun banter from your own teammates and stuff, but it's actually coming, arising from that place of this is how you should act, even though it's being expressed in a fun, playful way. It's like, hey, bro, yeah. like, stay in your lane. You know, I seen when I was in my, towards the end of my career, yeah. <laughs> the younger players who had grown up with Instagram and TikTok and school and just creating content and expressing themselves online was just part of life. When they'd come into the pro team at, like, 19, 20, 21, and they were just doing what they do, doing their posts and stuff like that, they were getting bullied and given shit by the older players. You know, hey, fuck, we don't, you know, stay in your lane, bro. You don't have 50 games. Shut the fuck up. Like, um, and some of it was joked and some of it was actually bullying. But it, regardless, it made that person second guess, like, expressing themselves. Yeah. And that's a problem to me. So, like I said, I do think the New Zealand rugby side of things people like your podcast, I think what Isaac John's doing with YKTR, uh, Quaid, um, Caelan Ponga, the Ardi, is, is sort of breaking that mould. Mm. So I, I hope that the organisations can get fully on board with it and understand that it's actually going to help their business be better by having more exciting and interesting characters mm. uh, who feel comfortable to express themselves and like I, th- I hope they support and encourage that because for the future of rugby as just a business, I really think it's, it's really, really necessary. Yeah, and you even spoke about that like towards at the start of the podcast as well where you mentioned um, like the characters and getting in behind these players and you say um, UFC do it so well, um, rugby could do better, but it is the players like I fell in love with the Hurricanes because I loved Christian Cullen. I loved the way he played and now they've been my favourite team for the rest of my life. So it was that initial character who I fell in love with. And I think, like you say, rugby players, like some of those examples are really good guys who are making young kids fall in love with them. Then they become attached to that team, like you say. So I don't think too many teams, other than if your family's like hard out Crusaders or something, I don't think too many players will just love the Crusaders for the fact that they're the Crusaders. It's someone in that team. It's the mm. Richie Mwanga or the Will Jordan in that side who yeah. makes them fall in love with that team. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, like, people want to know more about these dudes. People don't want to just hear, like we said at the start, mm. that, that 
two minute interview about you know yeah nah, credit to the boys you know like like yeah do the post-match interview but like create opportunities like have an in-house podcast for each team like have a character like yourself who loves it who can host the podcast yeah. for the team and like interview the boys and the, the the boys know you can just be yourself bro it's you're not gonna get you're not gonna get fucking dropped if you say this or that bro like ufc i'm not saying to, it would go to this extent yeah. but like those dudes fucking like swear at and like shit on that Dana White dude who's like the main guy and he loves it bro he's like fuck he laughs he's like what did you think about this guy saying you're an asshole and he's like oh yeah he's entitled man like as long as he shows up and puts on a good display I'm happy it's like or he'll go back and be like yeah but he's a dickhead like da 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 and it's like you know yeah like that that's to an extreme I'm not saying you know America's their own kettle of fish but yeah it shows people love it man there are diehards for that stuff like and then they go on and off chatting about it they bloody buying the clothing like so yeah it, it for me it just shows professional sport for it to be an appealing business in this day and age has to be more than 80 minutes and that that comes down to the players and allowing that more freedom mm, couldn't agree more and hopefully uh, we do see a bit more of a buy-in but one thing i am really keen to talk to you about is the new zealand launch of pure sports so um talk to me about this yeah man i'm so excited bro like obviously you know new zealand born and raised um and then you know hugely driven by what we're doing with pure sport but obviously haven't been able to uh launch our brand fully in new zealand like we were able to uh ship products in from our uk uh, website um but because of different like regulations and stuff like that in new zealand currently we can't actually like stock and fully have a website and, and launch in new zealand um because of the regulations still in place in New Zealand around CBD products, where Pure Sport is currently is uh, along the way, we, we began to innovate and create some really exciting products that didn't contain CBD. So there's a huge wave uh, and a huge amount of research and um, excitement around uh, mushroom-based supplements. And these are like ingredients that have been used for bloody you know millenniums by indigenous people and stuff and but the education and science behind them is starting to come to the fore now and um i mean my first awareness around the benefits of mushrooms was i actually when i was at glasgow warriors oh sorry so before i go into that so we're actually able to launch our nootropics adaptogens and mushroom based products in new zealand uh and that's going to be sort of in the next four to six mm. weeks which like i'm so excited about Hope, I'm hoping I can come back home. It's going to be my first time in a long, long time to do this launch. And But, yeah, we're going to have a New Zealand website, puresport.co.nz, Instagram. Going to do, like, you know, uh, endorsements with different um, individuals to promote the products. Um, look to be stocked mm -hmm. in different uh, retailers and stuff like that. We'll have a fulfillment, like a warehouse set up that holds our products so that the shipping, when people order, it arrives quickly. Uh, there's no worry about like the customs and getting stopped and all uh, and tax duties and all of that. Um, so, man, I'm so excited. But just to go back there around the mushrooms, 
so sorry so nootropics is a name for natural ingredients that ha have like cognitive uh enhancing um benefits adaptogens are a name for natural ingredients that help your body to adapt to the current necessity so say if you're stressed it'll help you you relax if you uh need to sleep better it'll help with sleep quality pain inflammation will help your body adapt and the majority of these ingredients are um, mushroom based ingredients then there's other sort of like enzymes like CoQ10, L-theanine which are like interact naturally with the body and, <clears throat> and naturally derived substances and the whole idea behind a lot of these products is to help you optimize your body so we have one called Boost which is a natural energy and immune boosting um, uh, supplement we have uh, de-stress, which is a like, cognitive function, focus, stress-relieving product. We have Unwind, which is um, a sleep-enhancing natural capsule. We have uh, the mind-body mushroom complex, which is like an antioxidant and cognitive function. Helps with like the degeneration of um, neural pathways to kind of prolong good brain health uh then female balance helps like women's hormone um health and helping with just sort of overall women's health um these are products that man like, i'm so excited about uh and my immersion into some of these mushrooms and nootropics mm -hmm. there was a, a point at when i was at glasgow warriors that i had three concussions in a year quite close by and in the last one i was struggling to recover i was having headaches and all sorts and the club sent me to like this neurologist dude who was like this highly qualified um, neurologist and to kind of help give me guidance on how to recover and he talked about all sorts like cutting out screen time he spoke about doing some forms of meditation that help um, the mind to relax and help with the like inflammation in there and then he and then he goes oh and you should start taking these supplements that are mushroom supplements because there's a lot of studies coming out around how they help repair neural pathways and help with inflammation in the brain uh, and like antioxidants. And I was like, okay. At the time, I was sort of not really that into it all. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. So, but I bought them, started taking them. But So that was when my first kind of awareness of these. And then as I got into Pure Spice, I started like doing more and more research. I, I, I saw that there was a lot of studies coming out around psilocybin, which is the scientific name for magic mushrooms. And obviously these are famous for like the psychedelic effects, like, you know, people having these mad trips and hallucinating and stuff. Yeah. But these studies were showing that if psilocybin was taken in a microdose, which wasn't, didn't have any hallucinogenic effects, it was helping with cognitive function. It was being seen to have unbelievable effects on people's mental health. People who are suffering de with depression were like being cured. Uh issues with like concussions and head knocks um there was some amazing results around that but just like everyday like focus clarity of mind creativity and since then like learning about that i kept an eye on it and i started to immerse myself more into some of these legal because psilocybin still like a you know illegal substance uh, and all these studies are very controlled and but i started to immerse myself more into like ingredients like lion's mane reishi chaga uh Cordyceps, uh, astragalus, these are all names for these functional legal mushrooms that have different benefits in the body. And, um, you know, very much so a lot of it was around like relieving inflammation, uh, stress. 
but also the studies around how these products ingredients had the potential to repair neural pathways in the brain which for us who face all these head knocks and stuff it's pretty scary some of the retired players now you know um facing things like dementia and symptoms of dementia down the line and all that so learning about this stuff was pretty amazing and um these are a lot of the ingredients in these products like the boost unwind de-stress female balance um that are formulated and targeted at specific benefits that we're going to be launching in New Zealand and the timing's amazing for these because people are more aware people are more educated more empowered than ever to look after themselves and choose natural alternatives over these quick fixes mm. so yeah man I'm, I'm so excited bro, to have pure sport in New Zealand it's like been a dream for since we started yeah exciting time so how do you get your pure sport how do you get pure sport into New Zealand because a question that comes up heaps for me in my inbox is like people try to get CBD in into New Zealand and often get stuck in customs sent back don't get your money how do you guys get your CBD product into New Zealand yeah so so currently like the New Zealand regulations clarify CBD as having traces of THC in it like that's what the way in which uh, New Zealand regulate and explain what CBD is that it's CBD but it's got small traces amount of THC which is the psychoactive compound our products have no traces of THC whatsoever so they don't actually fit under that exact criteria that New Zealand clarifies as CBD mm. So it's almost like a slight grey area. Um, so that's what is allowing these products to get to, to, get to people um, and with, with no issues. Yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time until New Zealand's one of the last sort of movers in terms of opening up to, like, you know, CBD being available uh, over the counter and to be ordered from websites and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I know, you know, New Zealand, they take their time with certain things. And we had the referendum around cannabis, uh, which was more so around like recreational, like THC cannabis um, mm. that didn't go through, which is completely understandable. You know, it's a big step to go from that being illegal to then people just being able to walk around and buy it and smoke joints. So hopefully what the next phase is they re they see that the rest of the world is benefiting and it's a great industry and uh they they can kind of jump on board and just open up completely but yeah in the meantime people are having using our products and ordering them from here with no issue but i'm excited about you know these mushrooms and nootropics because you know that we've been innovating and developing these products you know the mushroom ones and stuff for like two years now um, and the the sales and the benefits and the reviews have been unbelievable. And I think I feel that the future of these natural supplements will be moving more. You know, Pure Sport in two years' time will be selling the majority of mushrooms and nootropics. Uh, and you know, CBD will always be a staple element of what we do. But because of the awareness and the education that people are receiving around them now, it's gonna kind of swing the the scales the other way so to launch our brand with these products i'm hugely excited about and i think the new zealand public are people that are open-minded and care about looking after themselves and doing things 
in a natural way. I think it's in line with our culture. Uh, so, yeah, man, I'm, I can't wait. Mate, exciting times, exciting times for Pure Sport and New Zealand having these quality um, supplements on their doorstep now. You won't have to wait a week or two to get it shipped. It will be there probably overnight knowing your service always top notch. <laughs> but as always, yeah. we have gone to our Instagram for some questions. Um, I did check it up late, but we have got a few good ones come in. Uh, first question, this person obviously listened to the first episode, but he said, how hard is it dealing with being touted the next best thing and then dealing with the fact that you're not going to be? Oh, that's sad. That's a sad question. <laughs> no, I know. I thought the same. Um, but it does happen heaps, eh? Like there's all these young kids now, especially with the rate that schoolboy rugby is getting filmed. There's so many guys touted as that next big thing and – um, there can only be so many next big things. So yeah, um, it's happening all the time at rugby. And you were a big thing, but um, <laughs> you were a good example of that. Yeah, in my own mind, and at the time, I was doing all right. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think for me, like I, um, I guess what what's being referred to there is, uh, you know, when I was I was sort of 19 years old, made my Auckland debut, uh, played all those games. Uh, in that season and we won the Ramfurly Shield and the um, whatever it was called back then Mitre 10 Cup I can't even remember this was in 2007 yeah. man fuck that's when I know I'm old <laughs> like, um, 2007 wow um, and then I got a I signed a, like a long term blues contract straight off there then went to the under 20s won the World Cup still my claim to fame that my mates give me a hard time for is uh, I started all those games ahead of Aaron Smith at the Under-20 World yeah. Cup and uh, that was the peak of my career and sort of <laughs> went down from there. But um, no, I, I think what I learned was when you get into a position that is an amazing opportunity that you, you've literally worked so hard to get to, that is just the beginning. Like it doesn't take care of itself. And I think there was a few different elements in my life. Like, you know, my dad passed away when I was 21 and that was something I was like, you know, one of the most challenging things I've ever faced in my life. He was a huge, like, part of what rugby was to me. Like, I shared rugby with him. Uh, But even leading into that, from when I got my contract and I was doing well, don't get me wrong, like, those... In that beginning phase, I was so hungry, so driven, uh, and which is why I was able to, like, you know, do well in that first season for Auckland, make the under-20s, get a Blues contract. But all my dreams were coming true in front of my eyes, and, and I actually had this view in my mind growing up that if I achieve my dream of getting a rugby contract, I'm going to be okay. I had a bit of an interesting and colourful upbringing that I faced a lot of difficulties with you know my dad having issues with addiction and the life we live because of his struggles so rugby to me was like I'm gonna be good enough if I achieve that and when I got those contracts although I was so excited and so proud I actually didn't feel okay the way that I believed I would and what I down the line is my mind has grown and evolved and understood things better about how life works is it's a myth. It's like a mirage to believe that anything material 
is going to make you feel like a more fulfilled human. So I think that confusion that I had, it kind of, I lost the vigor and drive because all of that drive was to feel okay by achieving becoming a rugby player. Because all my life I just wanted to feel like I was okay, like I was good enough, you know. Yes. I had all these issues and feelings of lack and doubt and, you know, feeling like, oh, I've grown up as a poor dude and I grew up, like, with nothing and my dad was, you know, had addiction problems and there was embarrassment around our house and car and not having money and and what that did for me as a young person, like, feeling I needed things to be okay was wrong. Uh, it has to start, you know, by knowing in your heart like you're, you, who you are is enough and then go out and do what you love doing and, and, and have ambitions. So for me, man, I, if anything, actually, although I, I'm one of those dudes who every now and then is like, fuck, if only I, my mind stayed on it, what I could have achieved, but life's too short to think mm. that way. And actually what I look at now is... That, that hardship that I went through by not going, you know, like the blues cut me because I wasn't playing well. Mm. Uh, so I went from like hero to zero in my like, neighborhood and with my friends, like, um, and in my own mind too. Uh, and at the nightclub with the local <laughs> girls in Auckland. Um, and, and, but what, although that was so hard for me, what it did was it allowed me to re look at life and who I was and be like, bro, you've built your castle on sand here, like, thinking that your value is derived from your contract or playing on the weekend or being on Sky. Uh, there's no way to live, and it shows, because it's not it's not sustainable. Like, like the motivation wasn't sustainable, uh, and that showed in my training and stuff. And actually, if I could go back in time, I'd be like, bro, you love this game. Just love it. Like, that's what got you here as well. Like... So it's helped me in life, though, to be mm. a more rounded human and like appreciate life more. And I think I never forget that now with pure sport, because pure sport's starting to grow now into something that you know I always had an ambition of what it could be, but I didn't actually know what that looked like because I didn't know business. Mm. So I was like, oh fuck, heaps of people could buy this product and like it could grow, but I didn't even know what that looked like. And now that I see what it looks like to be growing. I always remember, I'm like, hey, bro, remember when this was what you were like, this path you were on as a rugby player? Yeah. And you got complacent or you forgot what it was like, that what got you here? Don't don't forget that. Appreciate it. Enjoy the journey. Always remember why you started this brand. It's because you love it. You believe in it. It's about the quality. It's about the people. It's about the impact. And actually, um, I feel grateful for those hardships I faced in rugby because uh, I'm probably underplaying it, but, man, like, I went through really hard times when I lost my contracts and felt like my identity and felt like a loser, man. And But I'm, I'm grateful for it now. Mate, powerful stuff. What a, what a start to the questions. One of the greatest answers of all time. Love that one. <laughs> okay, next, next question. But it's still it's still uh, one of my claims to fame that I started over over Azza at the World Cup. Or, so uh, I reckon Tui should put it on a, a, a one of <laughs> these bottle caps, bro. Like, who who is the unknown washed up fella who started over Aaron Smith at the Under Twenty World Cup? 
and uh and no one will ever get that answer bro, but, mate, yeah. i would i would you were a gun you i remember <laughs> mate. you were an absolute gun every right to start ahead of us <laughs> oh you were good anyway next question yeah. uh but old, but old straws, old strawbridge though, the under twenties used to tell me to follow through with my hands in the past. But I was all wrist, remember? I was just flicking the wrist, and he hated my passing, bro. But I was like, I'd argue, and I was like, but Strawsy, like it's on the target, mate. And he's like, yeah, but you fucking get your hands through. I'm like, yeah, fuck, mate. But I just flick the wrist. That's what I've always done, man. But you know, do it, we're doing our best. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay. Anyway, next question: Can you tell us the story of offer? And George Mawala in Bangkok. This sounds like a good one. Oh, fucking hell. That one is a blast from the past. So Offa and George were, we played at the same club, Grammar Carlton, uh, now known as GTEC. Uh, and a bloody great club, man. Did wonders for me. Love that place. Um, and Grammar Carlton would go on the Sevens tour every year to Bangkok. And I'd heard about these tours, but my whole journey with Grandma Carlton, I was already in the system with like Auckland and stuff. So I was never able to go on these famous tours. And dudes like Simon Munro and, uh, you know, Dean Budd and Dave Thomas and these fellas would always be going on about, fuck, you're not a true GC fella if you haven't been on this Bangkok tour. <laughs> anyway, the year that the Blues tore up my contract, that was my opportunity. I was like, I'm free as a bird, I'm going to Bangkok. Um, and the level of the sevens and that wasn't very good and it was all about just like going over and having a good time. But at that time, mm. Offa and George had just come out of school and they were in the Auckland Academy and these dudes were playing in the Prem's team and they were absolutely carving up, man. Like, you know, Offa was this gentle giant who spoke like a baby and uh, would just absolutely end dudes. And um, George was just this dude who was a silent assassin and... I don't think he'd ever done a day of gym in his life, but his guns and chest were giant. And I'd never seen a dude who would run down a field, fend, fend people off, while his upper body wouldn't move. He'd just look at people and just his arm would move and they'd like fly away. You know, unlike the old Jonah Lomi rugby on PlayStation 1, like where Jonah would just fend <laughs> people off. He was like that in real life. Anyway, these dudes were absolutely carving up. And they were like 18 at the time and they came on this tour. And obviously with those like that, we carved up, we won the comp and we all went out for this night out as a team. And like part of the night out, we had to wear these fluorescent yellow Grammar Carlton polos uh, on the night out. And all the teams from the tournament went out in their team polos. Anyway, we went into this one nightclub and it seemed to just be all locals. And uh, the few of the boys were like dancing with the Thai girls and, you know, and there was this club was packed out and one of the boys a few of the boys were sitting around by the bar and a lot of these Thai girls I think they took a liking to quite a few of the big sort of island boys um, and they had some decent dance moves you know the boys on the D floor so they were getting a bit of attention <laughs> and these local like Thai dudes they didn't like it so they went up to one of the boys who was sitting on the bar and goes to him hey and at this point Myself and I think Simon Munro and a couple other boys are on the opposite side of the bar and we kind of were watching this happen. And the guy goes up to the one guy goes, hey, get off, get off that chair. And the dude was like, oh, like I've been sitting here for ages. Like, it's my chair. And then the dude goes, fucking get off the chair. And then the boy was like, you know, 
the boy in our team was like, well, nah, fuck you, like, why? And so then that started this altercation. And then it, this fella pulls a gun out of his pocket and whacks Whoa. the dude in our team across the chin. And then everyone, like, our whole team rushes <laughs> over. Because for most of us, it looks like he's just throwing a punch. We No one realised it was a gun. And everyone rushes over and this big brawl yeah. starts breaking out. And all these, like, Thai dudes just start jumping in. And this brawl breaks out. And then, because these, you know, the boys in the team, uh, like, fucking ginormous, they start, like, laying into all these guys. And some of these Thai dudes have, like, these batons that they've pulled out of nowhere. All these, like, like batons <laughs> that they're hitting people with. Anyway, a few of the Thai guys start getting pretty well dusted up. So this guy shoots the roof with his gun. And it's like a movie, bro. Yeah. Like, it's... Everyone just starts running. All these people running, running, running. And so all of us are like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's get out. And then as we're walking out, the guy with the gun's just walking along, out holding his gun. And I remember looking at him and his gun. I was like, holy fuck, this is scary. Trying to keep my cool and just walk out like casually. And everyone's just walking out and these, all these Thai guys are walking out behind us. And I remember as I walk up the stairwell, the guy with the gun hands it to the bouncer and laughs. So then I'm like, fuck, like, the setup is, like, it must, like, belong to these guys. It's, like, their gang bar, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then one of the boys is so pissed that he just, outside of the club, we're all like, sorry, 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 we're going, yep, we're all good. And this one guy's swearing at, like, people, and we're all just trying to clear them away. Uh, and then one of the boys just swings at this guy. And it was like, oh, it's like life flashing before our eyes. Because like, bro, this dude's got, this other guy's got a gun, man. Like, it's like, oh. And it's out on this busy street. And all these guys start, other Thai dudes, they like this, like, they had this, like, infrastructure. Start running with bats. So naturally, like, you're trying to protect your mate who's getting bashed by bats and all sorts. And you've got one eye on the guy with the gun. And then, you know, like, the dude's getting a bit of a hiding. We're trying to jump in and throw, him, throw other guys off him, getting hit by bats. Eventually, the physio jumps on top of the dude, so they stop bashing him. It's the lady physio, Heather, jumps on top. They stop bashing him. And then, um, but these other dudes just start running at me, Offer, and George, and another guy named Richie Alt. And, and they, we just turn and look back, and these, like, four dudes with bats running at us, and we're like, fuck! run and on the back of my shirt it's still a joke these days we each had our nickname and mine was batman because of an interesting story that happened with a former ex-girlfriend of mine's dad and a bat and like it was a really interesting story that a few of my blues teammates found out about and named me batman and it was very ironic because i'm running away with batman on my back me offer george and richie offers running bashing this like there's a car park of about 30 scooters stacked he's like pushed them out the way running and it was one of those ones that like i was running because i was so close when we saw them that like it was inevitable that i was going to get hit so i'm running and i'm waiting for the bat to whack me in the back of the head and like knock me down but like the dude must have felt for me or he must have felt that the batman on my back was entertaining and he just ends up like whacking me across the back and i was like it was almost like a relief but i was like ah like Anyway, we get away and get in this tuk-tuk, 
back to I remember driving the all, all of us crammed in like offer and all of us and we're like bro what the fuck happened there real worried about the guys that were still back there get back to the hotel like what do we do do we go back how do we, what are we gonna do thank goodness like the all the guys made it back to the hotel because we're like bro like someone's gonna die man like what do we do we can't leave them and uh everyone got back safely and that was a story and a tale i'll never forget man but yeah uh that was a interesting time and to this day man when i see like offer and george i'm like bro he's remember that time bro i was like fuck he's wouldn't have been all blacks there we didn't make it we didn't survive that bro but my, my batman took one for the team <laughs> but offer actually said because he shoved this like literally 30 scooters out the way and and like it would this street we were running down was so busy it was like one of it was just a packed street of tourists and people and this would have been a sight to behold man like giants like offer and george gassing down the street with like six tie dudes with bats chasing us it was yeah thanks thanks Mate. for re, re bringing that one back to me i forgot about that Oh, that is loose. I wasn't expect. I was expecting a loose yarn, but not quite to that extent. That is one of the greats. Oh, okay, next question. This one is from Swish, our major sponsor. If you could get a video shout out from any celebrity, who would it be and why? That's a good one, bro. Mm. Oh, flip. I'm a pretty small. You'd have so many. No, I'm like a quite a small-minded guy when it comes to celebrities. I'm not like real well immersed. Fuck, that's a good question. Um, uh, it, it, it might sound pretty sad and embarrassing because, you know, maybe my horizons are not that big, but, um, bro, Ruben Wiki was, like, that dude's a legend oh, in my eyes. He was a hearty like ass dude. Yeah. yeah. He would be a no, good I like player. Because he would do you a... Like, he would. He'd do you a pretty mean shout-out, eh? He'd, you know, he'd mm. be... It'd be pretty hearty, I reckon. Like, Big Ruben. and the Warriors need all the help they can get at the moment. Jeepers, he might yeah. as well come back on. Oh, bro, the Warriors—they're always gonna be the Warriors. Are, are they? I don't know, but you got—you just gotta love the Warriors. Mm, hard, hard <laughs> not to. Eh? They're hard to support, but you just have to. They'll—they'll they'll be better for when yeah. Pure Sport yeah. arrive in New Zealand, no doubt. Yeah, bro, it's my dream to one day get the get the get Pure Sport on the. The Blues and the Warriors jersey. That wow. would like, honestly. That would be some cool. people want like some people want mansions and G wagons and and all that. Oh, I just want the pure sport on the Blues <laughs> jersey and the Warriors jersey. Right. And maybe amazing. we'll get what a lad on the shorts. Oh, that will yeah, be living. too right, bro. Too right. <laughs> I've seen those. I've seen them. Those rugby jerseys you make, bro. Maybe we'll make a collab. What a lad, pure sport rugby jersey. That'll be sick. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, love it. Okay, two more questions. Biggest lad in world rugby? That is tough because there's so many. Do you know who's actually a real lad who's a fucking great dude is um, Adam Ashley Cooper. Oh, yeah. He's a bloody great dude, man, and he's a character. Like, mm. And he's obviously had an unbelievable career and the longevity and the way and consistency in which he played. But I had the... Uh, fortune of being his teammate for two years and um, just a bloody lovely dude man um, and mm. just a, a real funny guy but just like naturally you know just a, a, a real character and that fellow would have some some good yarns to tell bro he, you should get him on the podcast mate that is a good shout actually I've had I've heard a few people tell me that he is 
a great lad. So, mate, he might be someone I need to chuck on my list ASAP. So many lads to get through. Looking forward to trying to get as many on as I can. But last question, one piece of advice for a water lad listener. So we've been doing this for a long time now, but I don't think we were doing this back in season one, early days when you came on. So I've been waiting. This is a big reason why I wanted to get you back on. It's full of advice, full of great knowledge. Yeah. I, I'm, I like how I say yeah, but I'm not really full of knowledge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually feel like I am personally like very interested in like, um, philosophical views and stuff and because I'm trying to learn and understand and evolve myself. So by no means do I think I'm qualified to offer people advice and stuff, but I love learning myself. But I think it takes it back to what we said about, you know, having almost in my to, to, the, to many people's views the world at my feet in terms of my opportunity with rugby as a 19, 20 year old and kind of that sort of dissolving in front of my eyes I think my biggest lessons in life are first and foremost like see in any given moment that like you are fulfilled as you ever will be no matter what you've got, what other people think of you, uh, what achievements, what ambitions you've got in mind. Know that, like, you are fulfilled and good enough now and then go out from that space to go after and do and express the things that you want to do. And also I feel from my learnings that will help you align more to do things that are true to you. Uh, Because so often I think, we have an idea based upon like our cultural conditioning or the world around us or education or parents around what we should do or who we should be. And often it's not actually in line with like what's true to us. So actually if you can start from your point of view, like, no man, like I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilled. I'm as good as I'll ever be. And within myself now, nothing more, no more money, no more contract, no more notoriety, no house, car, girlfriend will make me more fulfilled then go out and express yourself and what you'll find is well from my humble experience and opinion when I do see life in that way I function better I interact better my mind's clearer I'm better at problem solving and seeing opportunities being creative Uh, hardships don't seem so definitive you know you feel pain and sadness but you know it's part of life um and that in this moment like you're you're good um so that's probably a bit of a philosophical deep answer bro but that i hope that resonates with even just one person and then for me that's something that's helped my life hugely mate could not get a better answer than that one of the greatest piece of advice we have ever had on the podcast i knew you'd deliver philosophical and all i love it <laughs> but mate awesome to have you back on the podcast um got so much out of that i'm sure so many listeners did awesome to get a bit more insight into the pure sport world what it's like being a business owner trying to upscale a product and um, take over the world looking forward to the launch in new zealand and mate super grateful to have pure sport as a sponsor of what a lad it's been awesome to have the partnership i i don't get sick of getting messages of um, the feedback people have from the product, how it's changed their lives. So, mate, it's an awesome thing that you're doing and, mate, um, awesome to catch up again. Uh, thank you so much, bro. 
love what you're doing love having an alignment with you in pure sport and excited to get back and get pure sport into new zealand and yeah man uh no place like home and i uh, appreciate you having me on bro absolutely